are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women all over the country with chronic migraines rediscover a migraine-free life naturally. And today I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about what your doctor is really thinking when you go in to that appointment. So welcome, Mary. How are you today? Hey, doing good. Good. Beautiful day outside here. How about you? You know, I'm in Chicago and it's fall. So, (laughs) yes, that's true. Like, I'm probably not as cold as you are yet. (laughs) Well, we've had an unseasonably warm fall so far, but how are things in Utah? That's notoriously sunny there, isn't it? Um, 50 50. It's starting to get a little bit dark and gloomy, but I love fall. So, I love the change of the weather and stuff, the colors and everything. It's fun. Yeah, me too. I like fall too. Well, good. We were talking about what the doctor is really thinking when you go into the appointment. Right. What do you think, like, as you've moderated our Facebook group, what do you think most people are thinking or hoping for, praying for when they go into that doctor's appointment? Well, you know, like I mentioned yesterday, I think a lot of our migraine group members are just so desperate for any sort of relief. And I think that, you know, they go in and just, they're just hoping and praying that anything will help, that they can figure out any sort of cause or any kind of prescription that will even give them a a little bit of relief so that they can have a normal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like we talked about last time, When I went into the doctor, I really thought that she was going to figure out what was wrong and recommend a root cause solution so that I would feel better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And your doctor is really not thinking about that when you go in to your appointment. So let's do a deeper dive on this. Medical doctors when they go into medicine, I truly believe that they go into the field with a very, very genuine desire to help people, help people feel better, right? Help people get healthy again. But unfortunately, in conventional medicine, they do not believe that you can recover from a chronic health problem. So this is, as I've read some writings from medical doctors, this has been a real shock to medical students. Because again, you know, most of them are right out of college, they're 22, they're very idealistic, and they think that they're going in to help people. And then they realize through their education, that you actually can't recover from a chronic disease. This is what they're told, right? And so I have read their accounts about how disillusioned they feel. And so they are taught what we call in medicine, the basic sciences, just like I was taught when I went through naturopathic medical school. The basic sciences are things like anatomy and physiology and pathology and embryology and microbiology, even more what are called basic sciences. And so this gives the doctor the fundamental knowledge about what is known about how the body works, right? And so you would think that when you go in for your appointment, as your doctor is listening to you, he or she would be thinking back to all of the textbooks, all of the study that they had done, 
okay, this is how the body is supposed to work. What, you know, what she's describing to me, obviously, that's not how it's supposed to work. And so what might be going wrong with the physiology? What might be out of alignment with the anatomy, right? It would be kind of a reasonable expectation to think that the doctor was going through that sort of thought process. Like ruling out one thing at a time. and Exactly. You know, I don't know if I shared this with you, but I actually went to medical assisting school back 20 years ago. And, you know, at 19, I honestly thought doctors knew everything there was to know about everything. And the surprise I had was kind of an aha moment when I was working behind the scenes and I would see doctors come out of the patient care room and pull out their physician desk reference. Uh (laughs) Do you remember those books? (laughs) They were like six inches thick and they had everything in them. It never occurred to me before that, that there's no way for a doctor humanly to know everything. But I think that just speaks to the perception as a culture that we have of what doctors can and can't do and what they know and don't know. Right. Yeah, definitely. And so the medical doctor is not running through the known biochemistry and the known physiology of the body. The doctor is trying to determine, number one, what is the official diagnosis? What is the disease? And so to do that, every disease has different criteria that you have to meet in order to sort of check the boxes to get the diagnosis. And so the symptoms contribute to checking those boxes for the diagnosis, the symptoms that you have, the things that you feel or experience, and then the lab work or the imaging, what are called the objective findings. Those also contribute to the diagnosis. Okay, so that's really what the medical doctor is trying to determine. What is the official diagnosis? So does this person have chronic migraines or just episodic migraines, right? Like what is the actual diagnosis? And so then once the diagnosis is made, then the treatment is prescribed. And by that, I really don't mean the prescription itself. Today in conventional medicine, the medical doctor, it's almost sort of like a computer program, right? You input the diagnosis and then out comes the treatment, the prescription, okay? And so if someone has a diagnosis of chronic migraine, there's sort of then like a little treatment checklist. Okay, first we give a tryptin medication. There's sort of like a little step-by-step approach that they are supposed to use with that patient. And so many of you have seen this, like you have perhaps read about a different treatment A lot of people want to get Botox, for example. Well, in order for, you know, Botox is further down that list. It's not at the top of the list. And so in order to get that Botox prescription, you have to have gotten that far down the list without relief, right? So decision-making, unfortunately, in conventional medicine today, it wasn't always like this. But right now, the clinical decision-making has been really taken away from the medical doctor. And so the medical doctor, you know, if in their experience or if their intuition or feel for the patient is telling them, well, I think this would be the best way to start. 
if that doesn't match up with what the little checklist is, they're not going to be able to do that. Right. Well, and then you have the whole side issue of they also have to pay attention to what the insurances are even going to cover. So that also puts another layer of, you know, red tape that they have to go through. Yes, exactly. And it's sort of like the, because the insurance company has their list, right, of treatments that you have to run down. And then the medical establishment has, you know, those two entities, they've sort of agreed on what that list is going to be, right? So like if there are different medical associations, they come to their consensus and then the insurance companies listen to that. And then both entities, both groups come into consensus as to what that list is going to entail. So So, basically we're, you know, it's like saying we're not really interested in what's actually appropriate or best for this individual patient, as long as it, you know, if it doesn't fit our checklist. So that's unfortunate. It is. And so you know, there is so much pressure on the medical doctor to get in and get out within a certain amount of time. The average appointment is 12 minutes, right? And so that includes you as the patient talking, and that includes the doctor talking, 12 minutes, right? And so in order to get anything accomplished within that 12-minute period of time, you have to have sort of this protocol in place, right? You can't have the doctor going back and, you know, really studying a case and, well, should I give Imitrex or or Relpax, you know, because those two drugs are different. And so the doctor can't sit there and go, well, you know, let me think about this. What is my gut telling me? The checklist has to be followed. So, This is also something that we talked about on the first podcast. This is why when you go to another neurologist, when you get referred to one of these headache centers, it's kind of positioned to people, oh, I'm going to send you to this big headache center. They have all of the same stuff. The checklist is the same, right? It's not like your hometown neurologist isn't aware of what the medications are, isn't aware of what the testing is, right? So. The checklist is the same. So it's not like the major migraine centers have a secret list of hidden, you know, a bag full of tricks. Exactly. (laughs) That no one knows about. 100%, right? Exactly. They don't have any sort of secret drugs or, or things like that, that your local neurologist wouldn't have available to him or her as well. So... Like I say, this was, like I talked about before, this was a real, real shock to me because when we go into the doctor, and I've heard this story so many times from my clients that, you know, the hope that we have when we go into the doctor, we're actually going to be listened to, that somebody is, you know, finally going to take us seriously, listen to us, and then use this amazing knowledge, right? All of the study that is required to become a doctor. Somebody's going to listen to us and then sift through all of the knowledge that they have and then also apply all of the experience that they have over the years and come up with the answer for us as an individual, right? The specific thing that we need, that our body needs so that we can feel better. We just 
pray that that's what's going to happen when we go into the doctor's office. And this makes me kind of just wonder, like, I wonder what the average number of different doctors people go to, because I feel like once you get really discouraged with your, you know, first doctor, you go to the second doctor and third doctor, like, I wonder how many on average people actually go to. Yeah, it's a really good question. Actually, I'm sure that they've done studies on this because, you know, they don't want people to go from doctor to doctor because it clogs up the system. The checklist is the same, right? So we don't want to clog up the system with people on this search, right? That's what I was. I was on a search, right? I kept going back, like I talked about on our first podcast, I kept going back to the same doctor. (laughs) I thought she was just having a bad day every time I went in. (laughs) I love how you give her the benefit of the doubt. Which, I, I mean, know, we, right? we really should give all doctors the benefit of the doubt. I mean, they're doing Absolutely. the best they can with what they have and what they know. They so. 100% <laughs> are. They 100% are. But, you know, that clogged up the system, right? Me going back in once a month, thinking that something was going to be different when I went back in, right? I'm clogging up the system doing that. So, yeah. And I really feel for women when I talk with them and they describe this experience, because it's very disappointing when you go in to a new doctor, you go into the big headache center and you think this is it. I'm in the big leagues. I'm, you know, this is it. This is where they take things seriously. You know, I mean, I've had heard so many stories of people going to Mayo Clinic, Diamond Headache Center, you know, the Cleveland Clinic, you know, university hospital headache centers and and so on. And walking out of there in the same shock that I was walking out of my primary care physician's office. (laughs) What just happened? (laughs) Right. Because it was the same thing. So let me ask you this, like, why is it so difficult for the doctors to find a cause? I mean, you've touched on the time constraints, obviously. But you would think after seeing hundreds and hundreds of patients, they would get you know, better at finding the root cause. So why is that such a challenge? So this is a really, really insightful question. So there's a difference between root cause in conventional medicine and root cause in my world. So in conventional medicine, they do not believe you can recover from a chronic health condition. And this is really, really important for people to understand. I keep kind of pressing this point because it's the key distinguishing factor. So there's a conception in conventional medicine, right, that we just get sick, like the sickness just kind of falls out of the sky and clings onto our back. And now we got to carry migraines around for the rest of our life, right? And so the root cause is... The, the true root cause is bad luck, bad genes, right? A scientific term for bad luck is bad genes, hereditary, right? It sounds scientific, but it means bad luck. And we talked about yesterday, like once it's, you know, bad luck or your genes or whatever, you feel that sense of lack of control and helplessness, right? right? Doomed. Yeah. Right. So in their mind, the root cause is. Kismet, fate, bad genes. One of my clients, her neurologist told her that her brain had faulty wiring, right? (laughs) In their world, that's what the root cause is. How do you change that? 
Well, faulty wiring sounds like a really hard one to change. <laughs> like, Brain surgery? What do you do with that? Exactly. What do yeah. you do with that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, faulty wiring in your brain. Okay, well, that's a good one. How do, right? So the root cause is unchangeable, right? So when you go into something with that belief, you're going to act accordingly, right? If I believe that if I jump off of a five-story building, I'm going to fly, I'm going to act accordingly, right? So when I went into my primary care doctor, you know, with that hopeful look in my eye and we're going to get to the root cause, my doctor already knew the root cause. Oh, here's another 24-year-old young woman in the prime of her life struck down by migraines. Bad luck. Faulty wiring. Unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, well, do you have a family history? Yeah, my mother had a headache. She's had a headache every day of my life. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) And then it just turns into, like we were saying, the spaghetti on the wall method. Like, what are we going to throw at this? Yeah, what are we? What's the first thing on my list that I'll throw at it? Right? So they're not looking for a root cause. They already know the root cause when we walk in. And so what research does, so then what the pharmaceutical companies do is they try to figure out the physiology that's generating the migraine symptoms. So they do research. Is it the blood vessels in the brain? Is it the vagus nerve? Is it this or that? Okay. And they try to figure out, okay, when somebody gets a migraine, what happens with the anatomy? What happens with the physiology? What happens with the biochemistry? Notice that's not a root cause. Those are the symptoms, right? If I get a migraine and my blood vessels expand or dilate, that's a symptom of the migraine. It's not a root cause. Right, because that still doesn't answer the question of why did they do that in the first place. Right, what kicked it off in the first place, right? So then once they observe the changes in the anatomy, the changes in the physiology, the changes in the biochemistry, then they try to shut those changes down. That's where the drugs come in. Interesting. Right? So they try to reverse what the body is doing when the migraine is happening. Okay? This is still not root cause. This is suppressing the symptoms of the migraine, right? It's trying to force the body not to do what it's doing. For them, the root cause is the same. You're doomed, faulty, defective, bad genes. We're going to go in and just try to change, manipulate and change your biochemistry and your anatomy and your physiology. And hopefully that'll be enough where you won't be able to feel the symptoms anymore. So if they give you a prescription for something that helps with, say, the vessels you were saying expanding, and they fix the vessels, you know, make them not do that, have that reaction, then hopefully the pain won't happen as well. Is that? That's the philosophy. That's the thought, right? Now, they'll say, well, we're looking for a cure, right? You won't, you know, that little purple migraine ribbon. We're looking for a cure right? You won't find me wearing one of those purple migraine ribbons, okay? Because the cure that they're looking for, so what does cure mean in conventional medicine? Cure means they find a drug so powerful that your body is never able again to generate those symptoms. Or at the very least, it 
gets rid of your symptoms pretty fast. Every time. Never stops working. (laughs) Right. Which we definitely know over time, most or very frequently the meds work for a while and then the, the patient goes back to square one when they stop working. 100%. I have a whole free training on why this happens. So we'll put a link to that in the notes, in the show notes. But yes, absolutely, right? Every time we manipulate our biochemistry and our anatomy and our physiology, the body will fight that. And so when we do that, inevitably, eventually, the medication is going to stop working. And then there's no cure, right? Oh, what we thought was going to work permanently, oh, stopped working. It makes me wonder why, like, if you're talking to a neurologist, like, how did they explain why it stopped working? Oh, that's a really good question. I believe they think that your defect, your faulty wiring, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. overpowered the medicine. So it goes right back to that. Oh, bad luck. You know, like, yep, this is um, what we're doing kind of thing again. Hmm. And so many times, this is actually told to the patient, right? Well, you failed the treatment. What? Oh, yes. That's a strong reaction. (laughs) People are told that frequently. You failed the treatment. And I can't imagine coming out of the doctor's office and being like, okay, I already feel like garbage. And now you made me feel like it's my fault for feeling like garbage. Right? Wow. I mean, people leave neurology offices crying all the time. Yeah. We do hear a lot of those stories where, well, my favorite is when you hear some, not favorite as in I enjoy it, but it's so common that people in the group say, they told me it was all in my head. And it's like, well, of course it's all in your head. That's where migraines exist. So like, you know, come on, doctors. Yeah. Sorry, I had a really strong reaction to that. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. So there's this never ending quest in conventional medicine for the cure, right? Every disease has the colored ribbon. Every disease has the walk for the cure. I mean, There's even an organization that puts on a walk for migraine sufferers to raise money for migraine drug development, (laughs) which to me, the worst type of fundraiser is to put migraine sufferers out in the sun (laughs) walking. (laughs) There you go, right? (laughs) There was a time in my life that would be a guaranteed migraine, you know, walking on a hot pavement in August for five miles, right? That would have been a guaranteed migraine. (laughs) Do not torture people for the sake of science. (laughs) Right? That's the migraine fundraising walk. So in any case, this is the mindset of your medical doctor, right? Through bad luck, faulty genes, bad wiring, this migraine monster fell out of the sky onto your back. You can't shake it off. And we're just going to have to keep trying something to prevent your body from generating the symptoms. Right. I'm sitting here just thinking about all of our people in the group and how much we care about them. And like the mindset of the migraine sufferer and how debilitating that is and how depressing and anxious and desperate for any relief they must be, they are. And when you put that mindset together with the doctor's mindset, it's not really a recipe for success. No, unfortunately it's not. 
Yeah. We will do anything to get out of pain. Right. Especially long-term chronic debilitating pain. Yeah. We were talking about it earlier that a few weeks back, we asked the group, would you rather deal with side effects of medication or migraines themselves? And I would say at least 80% of the responses said they would rather deal with side effects. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that speaks a lot to the mindset of, of how desperate people are. And, you know, we're talking about side effects like loss of memory, weight gain, vomiting, hair loss, feeling like a zombie, brain fog, having your mental health go down the drain. Like there's so many potential side effects and still a migraine sufferer would rather deal with those or risk those than to have this debilitating pain constantly. Absolutely. We will do anything to get out of pain, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain. We'll do anything, right? How can we care about a long-term side effect when we're on day three of a skull crusher? It goes out the window, right? I mean, we are wired to get out of pain. So I don't fault anybody for that answer, right? But Unfortunately, the nature of chronic migraines, you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? It's not like people don't know that there are side effects. They're experiencing the side effects too, right? But how much pain can somebody take? Totally. And I probably would say our most frequent question in the group is, have you taken X medicine and what are the side effects? Yeah. Even right. though we are a natural group, you know, Dr. Leslie and I, both have always said, you know what, this is a safe space for people to talk about wherever they're at on their journey. So if absolutely. that means that they're still throwing spaghetti at the wall, talk about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? But that absolutely. is the most frequent question. Like, have you taken Mgality? What are the side effects? Have you taken Fioracet? What are the side effects? Yeah. And they're significant. Yeah. They're very significant. And Botox comes up quite often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, honest to goodness, like all of this probably information is good to have. But if I'm a migraine su sufferer, like, you know, some of ours that have it daily for 50 years, it's kind of discouraging. It's discouraging to think that I'm going to my doctor and he's not looking for a root cause. He's looking for whatever I can throw at her to make her feel better and hope it works. So what is the better approach? Like, how should this be going? How should this happen? Like I say, in my world, root cause means something different. So what I know to be true is that we have migraines for a reason that can be fixed. We can recover from chronic health conditions. So unfortunately, what we have been told as a culture, as a society, our whole lives, I was told this too, right? We are all raised with this false belief that once you have a chronic health condition, you can't recover from it. The doctors are told that, right? There's this massive, massive false belief at play that you cannot recover your health once you develop a chronic health condition. That is not true. Now, some people will never believe that. Most people are going to believe what they've been told their whole life. Why wouldn't they? And so 
Like I run an ad on Facebook to let people know that there is this Facebook group that we have, right? And so I talk about how it's a group called Healing Migraines Naturally, and it's a positive place of hope and recovery from chronic migraines. And most of the comments are like, yeah, right. Very skeptical. Yeah, totally skeptical, right? Because you've been told something your entire life. And then here, you know, it's like me saying, oh, no, you know, you can recover from a chronic health condition. You can recover from chronic migraines. And people are like, this person's crazy. This person's <laughs> totally nuts, right? So I think that there is a small number of people that are very connected to that deep intuition that actually tells us, no, you know what? There's got to be a reason that I could fix. There's got to be something not quite right. And if I just knew what it was and could correct it, I would feel better, right? Because the truth always is there. And there are people, they still tap into that truth that exists. Despite everything that they've been told, they tap into that and they don't give up. Those are the people that join our Facebook group. People who say, eh, not so, scam, not true. They don't even click to join, right? Natural. So, I've tried everything. Like, I've tried, of, exactly. I've tried everything. Give me a break. <laughs> so right? how could it possibly be something natural? <laughs> exactly. And this was my intuition that kept me going back every month to my medical doctor, <laughs> right? Because I was just tapped into that inner knowing, that inner connection to truth that this couldn't have been just something that fell out of the sky onto me that I'm doomed to get because my mother had daily headaches my entire life. And my great grandfather used to bang his head on the wall of their house in Berwyn, Illinois. He was in that much pain. That's what my grandfather would talk about, right? I didn't believe that I was doomed. I was connected to what is true. And that motivated me, right? And those are the women who join the Facebook group. They have not disconnected from that truth. And so the truth is we can restore our health when we have a chronic health condition like chronic migraines. We have symptoms because something is out of alignment in the physical body, in the mental body, in the emotional body. There's something out of alignment. Something's missing. Something is blocked. This is a universal truth. When something is out of alignment or blocked physically, mentally, emotionally, the body generates symptoms. How else would we know? How else would we know that something was out of alignment physically or mentally or emotionally unless we had feedback, unless there was a signal? A long time ago, somebody told me that pain is actually like a blessing in a way because it does signal you that something's wrong, whether like emotional pain in a relationship shows you that there's something wrong with that relationship. So same kind of concept that if you're in pain, there's a reason for it. And it's a signal to pay attention. You know, so there are people that lose their sensory perception in the skin and they are very prone to dying because if I'm walking around, let's say, I'm working in my kitchen and I put my hand on the hot stove, but I don't have any sensory perception in my hand. I'm not going to realize that I have my hand on that hot stove and I'm going to keep it there. And then my hand is going to be severely burned. Right. 
right? And then that burn can get infected. I can get sepsis, right? So we, those pain receptors, they alert us when we are doing something that's incompatible with our health, with our life. The hand on the hot stove, if we don't feel that signal, we're in big trouble. It's like your body is just saying, not good, not good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Change, Stop change. This, whatever Stop this. Stop yeah. this, right? So with chronic migraines, right, it's not so obvious as a hand on a hot stove, right? But the pain is still there. And so how would we know if we were lacking something physically or mentally or emotionally, if there was a barrier or a blocker physically, mentally, emotionally, how would we know unless there was a signal from the body that we could perceive? And so that is the gift of the symptoms, right? I am so thankful 25 years later that I started getting migraines. Because like I talked about on the first podcast, my health was already in decline. Before I was 24, I was a typical American. And my health was continue, was already declining. And luckily, I started getting migraines and it woke me up because driving home and staggering through the front door every other day was no picnic, right? If I had a symptom that wasn't very obvious to me, like hypertension, that's a symptom that you don't really feel hypertension unless it gets really, really bad, right? What if I had gotten hypertension instead of migraines? I could have gone for years without realizing something was wrong. Right. There are very scary symptoms that, you know, like ovarian cancer, you may not know for years and years and years because there's not a signal. <laughs> right. So I'm thankful that I was in enough pain to motivate me to take action, take the action that I needed to take. Because in my world, it's very clear to me when somebody has chronic migraines that there is something out of alignment. And to restore our health and to maintain our health, there are three things that we have to do. We have to get the nutrients to every cell in the body. Every cell in the body requires nutrients to function. You can open up any physiology textbook, biochemistry textbook, and read about all the nutrients that are required by our cells to function. So that's number one. Number two, we have to clear metabolic waste material. So our cells, when they get those nutrients, they do their work, they generate metabolic byproducts. Those have to be cleared from the body. We also have to remove other toxins that we are exposed to. The medications that we take are toxic that have to be cleared. The environment has toxins that we're exposed to that we have to clear. All of those things have to be cleared. The cells are not going to function properly if they don't have the nutrients they need and they're swimming in garbage. <laughs> okay. The first two things that have to be done. And the third thing that has to be done to restore and maintain our health is we have to restore or improve or recover our resiliency and vitality. This is something that is never looked at. It's our own resiliency and vitality that keeps us in a state of health. So those are the three things that we have to do to restore our health. And when somebody isn't feeling well, when they have a chronic condition, when they have chronic migraines, I know, before I know anything about them, I know that there is something not working right in those three principles. Something's blocking something in those three principles. Something's lacking within those three principles. 
when you work with a naturopath doctor, what does the process look like as opposed to how a medical doctor does things? Well, I can tell you about my process. You know, not every naturopathic doctor practices like me. I'll be honest with you. Okay. And so when I'm working with my clients, what we are doing together is we are figuring out what is missing in each of those three principles for them. These three principles are universal to everyone, but what each individual needs in these three principles is going to be unique to them. So it sounds like there's a lot of more deep discovery type work, deep correct like looking at the individual rather than how medical doctors just do. Okay, most people work will do really good on X prescription. <laughs> correct. And I'll be honest with you, most naturopathic doctors, chiropractors, acupuncturists, they're not looking at things like this because they too have been raised in a society that says, if you have this symptom, you're defective. We have to appreciate how deep this messaging, this conditioning has been. So even when you go into the chiropractor, the naturopathic doctor, the acupuncturist, they're still thinking, what do I give her for the migraines. I give her Butterbur. I give her CoQ10. I give her magnesium, right? Right. I don't give anything to anybody for the migraines, right? The migraines is not the problem. The migraine is the symptom of the problem. So just like we can manipulate the biochemistry and the physiology with drugs, we can manipulate the biochemistry and the physiology with natural substances too. When you take high dose magnesium, you are manipulating your biochemistry. Interesting. So just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's not manipulating your body like a drug manipulates it. And this is what most natural practitioners do not understand. So if if I don't have a magnesium deficiency, and most people don't, even though you're going to read a lot on blogs on the internet that everybody has a magnesium deficiency and you need to buy this magnesium supplement. Therefore, most people really don't have a magnesium deficiency. But if I take, you know, 500 more milligrams of magnesium than my body needs, it completely alters my biochemistry because I'm flooding my body with magnesium. Magnesium has an effect on our physiology. I hear it makes you extra regular. <laughs> well, well, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> that's oh, no. Mary, oh, you're going to really get me on my one of my biggest soapboxes. <laughs> that just goes to speak to the fact that it does actually change something inside of your body. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and so people will feel a little bit better taking the magnesium or the butterbur or the CoQ10 because the body's like, oh, whoa, I'm being overwhelmed by all this magnesium. I can't generate a migraine right now. I got to figure out what to do with all this extra magnesium. And then after a couple months, it figures out, okay, if she's going to keep giving me 500 milligrams of magnesium, okay, I can deal with it now and generate the migraine. I feel like our bodies are just super smart. and <laughs> They're much smarter playing, than we are. Yeah, like we're playing this how to outsmart the body game. <laughs> Not going to do it. <laughs> so you have to, like I say, these, the three principles that I talked about, these are universal truths within the physiology of the body, within the natural world. So you can see these principles play out even with ecosystems. 
They are universal truths. They are natural laws. And so I think next time, let's dig a little bit deeper into this. And then I can, you can get me back on my soapbox around uh, magnesium and loose stools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's everyone's favorite topic. Join us next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Thank you so much, Mary. Yes, that was great. Well, wonderful. And thanks everybody for listening. And before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. And please, if you have somebody in your life who's suffering from chronic migraines, please share this information with them. Who could benefit from this information that we talked about today? Please share that on your social media or share it with your friends and loved ones who've been praying for this information. And if you want to stay connected with Mary and I, please join our free Facebook group. We have nearly 12,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life naturally. You can go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND in the search box on Facebook, or you can go to HealingMigrainesNaturally.com and we will redirect you there. So wonderful, Mary. I will talk to you soon. Have a great week. Awesome.